This is Fullness of Life, discussing topics important to your life of faith and ways to grow in a life of grace. Join us each month as we inspire listeners to a deeper relationship with the Lord to live His fullness of life. Now, here's your host, Letty Medina. Hello, this is Letty Medina, and we're back for our next episode of Fullness of Life on 88.5 FM WSFI Catholic Radio. Some of you may be listening online at WSFIRadio.org. I'd like to welcome you all to sit back and enjoy a wonderful witness over this next hour. I have the great honor of having a dear friend and brother in Christ, Father Michael Grezik, in the studio with me. And he has an amazing story of conversion to share with the listeners about how he, you know, fell away for a while and then came back through Our Lady. So welcome, Father Michael. Thank you for having me. Why don't we start out with a with a prayer, if you wouldn't mind sure. leading well, that. I'd be happy to do that. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks and praise for the many blessings you bestowed upon us during our lives. And Lord, we ask that you be with us during this conversation this day. Lord, we ask for the gift of your Holy Spirit to guide us and to anoint our words. And Lord, we ask for a special blessing for those who are listening today. Lord, we ask that you touch their hearts help them to know how much you love them. And so, Lord, we ask for your blessing now upon all of us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Wonderful way to start the program. So, you know, I've known Father Michael for about five years, and I remember the first time I met you because I was, we were at uh, Monique's house. I know you probably don't remember this. No, I do remember that. But I heard you share your witness that day, Mm -hmm. and it touched me deeply because... Um, I have a great love for the Blessed Mother, and you shared how she had worked in your life. Mm-hmm. And so it's always kind of been a, just a beautiful thing that I love to share witnesses that are powerful like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm really happy to have you here in January for this show because we just passed the solemnity of Mary, the Mother of God. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you want to say a few words just about that. Just, well, any Marian feast, I always love to to celebrate that and to point out uh, our, our Blessed Mother's great love for us. And so, yeah, it's, you know, our Mother's always here with us, and the Church always helps us to focus on those special moments. And so the 1st of January is always a day for us to remember that Mary was a gift to all of us from Jesus, from Calvary. He exactly. gave us... T- he gave us his own mother uh, to be our heavenly mother, you know, to watch over us, to take care of us, and to lead us always closer to her son, Jesus. So, you know, it's a beautiful feast. And it is a holy day of obligation. Correct? It is. It is. Yeah. And I think it's funny because I think a lot of people miss it, not mm-hmm. because they're trying to avoid, you know, honoring those feast days that are holy days of obligation, but maybe because it's not talked about all that much. I remember just learning about that feast um, Mm. later in my uh, journey as a Catholic. So um, just so the listeners will know, (laughs) that is a beautiful feast. That could be the reason, or it could be because New Year's Eve is the night before. Exactly. (laughs) Well, that too. (laughs) Very possibly. So why don't we get started um, by having you share a little bit about your upbringing 
and uh, how you were raised. Sure. Well, I grew up in uh, Flint, Michigan, and I didn't really originally grow up here in the Chicagoland area, but my grandparents and many, many of my relatives all immigrated from Ireland. So my mom actually grew up out here in Chicago. And so I'm related to half of the city on the <laughs> okay. Irish side, even though I have a, a Polish last name. Okay. But I grew up in Flint, Michigan. My mom and dad were good Catholics. They uh, They always made the great sacrifice to send our kids, myself and, and my brother and my sister, to always a Catholic school, parochial school. And they made a lot of sacrifices to do that. And um, I really kind of took that for granted. Um, I really didn't focus so much in on the faith aspect of things. I was always kind of the, the black sheep of the family. I was always rebelling. Like, why do we have to go to church on Sunday? Why can't we go, like, maybe once a month, like mm -hmm. our neighbors next door. Or, you know, I don't understand why we have to always do this. And I remember my dad telling me, it's like, as long as you live in my house and you're eating the food that I put on you, the table, you're going to go to church on Sundays because that's what we do as a family. And so he kind of laid down the rules. And um, so, you know, I definitely had a, a loving family. We never sat down and prayed the rosary. That was not part of my prayer life. Okay. Uh, you know, my education for the faith was from the school and then also what my parents did making sure that we always went to mass on sunday even if we went on vacation you know my parents would make a point they would find out what church was available and they brought us to uh, a local uh, church a catholic church to be able to go to mass and so that that's something that always kind of stuck with me even though i was fighting with them on that yeah but as time went on, um, you know, I started becoming more and more rebellious and my grades in college started to tank. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I told my mom and dad that um, I needed to take a break. I needed to kind of find myself and kind of get reoriented and figure out what I really wanted to do with my life. And uh, I decided I was going to drop out of college and move to Chicago. And my parents said, if you drop out of college, we're cutting you off. You're going to be completely independent. And I said, I wouldn't expect anything else from you guys. Okay. So I moved out to Chicago and uh, that was my first experience of like real true independence, mm -hmm. you know, because even with college and stuff, you know, you're always still tied to your parents on certain things. They're helping you with education and paying for things and stuff like that. It wasn't really, I wasn't really paying for myself. I wasn't supporting myself. But once I got to Chicago, that's what it was all about. So I, you know, I struggled a lot going from place to place in different apartments and working multiple jobs, waiting on tables and things. And originally I had come out to Chicago to, uh, to try to get an internship at an advertising agency because that okay. was the goal, was to come out here, work for an agency for my, maybe a year or two, see if that's what I wanted to go back to school for, was for advertising and marketing. But once I got out here and I realized that the, the advertising agencies, nobody was going to pay you anything. Right. Like they just basically wanted you to work for free. For free and I was like, yeah. what? Mm -hmm. So that didn't quite work out the way that I wanted to. But it was funny because one thing led to another. And um, I ended up meeting some friends uh, that moved out to California. And I thought, I've got nothing holding me here. And sure. I've never been to California. So I moved out to California. Okay. Then I had friends that moved out to Hawaii. And I had a buddy of mine from high school that had moved out there with his family and so I ended up moving out to Hawaii. Wow. And it was crazy because um, I kept skipping from place to place. And the whole time that I would travel around, it was all focused around having fun, yep. going to the clubs, partying, drinking, yeah. doing all that other stuff. And, you know, I can guarantee you I wasn't going to mass. And exactly. that was not part of my life. I wasn't, you know, God was not part of that at all. And yeah. really when I got away from my parents, I thought, wow, I can finally live my life the way I want to live it. And right. I always felt like the, you know, being raised in the Catholic church, I was kind of like, you know what, that was my parents' religion. You know, if God exists, great, but I'm not going to worry about it. You know, I'm going to do my own thing. 
But the further and further that I got away from God, the more and more I became lost. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't figure out what was going to make me happy. I didn't know if it was going to be a certain job, making more money, if it was going to be the perfect relationship that I could find, you know, or traveling to a new state. And I, I never could figure out what the missing piece of the puzzle was. Yeah. And it was only later in life that I found out that it was God that was missing in my life. Amen. And that's what I was looking for. That's what I was searching for. And I had no idea that that was yeah. the easy fix. Well, and that, that goes back to um, that beautiful um, statement that St. Augustine made. Um, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O Lord. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so many people, I think, go through periods uh, that, like you've just described, where they're searching and they're searching because we are hungry to be filled with something that is meaningful. For sure. And we uh, often fill it with things that are not so meaningful. <laughs> That's right. And our culture is not going to point us towards God. Never. They're always <laughs> going to point us towards material goods, power, sex, whatever it might be. But it's always going to be something away from God. Yes. Because this world is ruled by... Yeah. You know? The enemy of our souls. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, our culture is not looking out for our, our salvation. They're not looking out for our soul. No. And so really we have to stay connected to God. But it's it, I always tell this joke, it's so funny. Um, as I travel from state to state and, and zip, you know zigzagging around the country, um, my mom was always praying for me and she was always trying to find out what, you know, what you know, city I was living in next. And, and anytime she'd call me up, I remember when I was living out in Hawaii, I was actually living in a tent for a while because I didn't have enough money to get oh into an goodness. apartment. It's a long story, but mm -hmm. so I'm living in a tent on the beach, um, which is actually very beautiful. I'm sure. And if you're going to live in a tent, you might as well do it in Hawaii. But um, I remember my mom talking to her on the phone and she said, Mike, are you staying close to God? Are you going to church? You know, we're sending up prayers for you. Yeah. You know, we're praying for you, Mike. And I was like, Mom, don't send me prayers. Send me money. I'm living in a tent. <laughs> so. It's <laughs> hilarious. But it's funny, though, when I look back at that, uh, at those times, I remember I was looking for something, searching for something, and I couldn't figure out what it was. I was like, there's something missing in my life. So to kind of maybe speed up my story a little bit, as I was looking for something, searching for something, I ended up making some choices to go back to school. And um, I ended up back in my mom and dad's doorstep, okay. knocking on the door. Mm -hmm. And my parents welcomed me back in. It wasn't like I was uh, completely ostracized by <laughs> dropping out of college. Yeah. And my parents, um, it, I mean, that story sounds so familiar. It sounds like the prodigal son coming back Absolutely. with nothing, you know, and uh, lots of bumps and bruises along the way. Yeah. But my parents said, as long as you really put yourself into going back to school, we'll help you get on your feet. Um, so it was a good deal. So, how, how, can I ask how many years were you kind of out there wandering? Was it? Like oh, a, it was only a few years. It wasn't like it was a okay. decade or anything like that. But, okay. um, but definitely, it was. It, it was definitely enough time, especially when I was in college for two years and then dropping out for those extra couple of years. That it was enough time to, f for sure, being distanced from God. And, well, and I just want to add and insert here that you know, for those of you who have children who maybe have gone astray. And you're feeling, you know, really concerned, right? Mm -hmm. You heard what Father Michael said. He said, my mother never stopped praying for me, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And I'm, so it, keep praying. If you have a child that has kind of lost their way, those prayers make all the difference in the world. And that, that's all I wanted to add in. For sure. That. You know, I always tell parents, you know, now that I'm a priest, uh, 
you know, a, a lot of families will come to me and they'll say, you know, we, we sent our kids to Catholic school. We, we took them to Mass and now they have nothing to do with God and we're, they're not even baptizing their kids. And right. they're so distraught. And I always tell them, I'm like, consecrate your children to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Amen. And the first thing that they usually say is, what's a consecration? Right. What does that mean? Right. And I always say, in your own words, give your children to Jesus and to Mary. And when you give them to Jesus and Mary, they take that consecration, they take that very seriously. And what it does is it allows God to take the key and unlock a whole torrent of grace upon your children to help them in their conversion. And I can't say how that will happen, only God. Right. knows. Right. But I've seen many, many miraculous things. And that'd be something we could talk about another day. Uh, but just that consecration and how important that is because Jesus and Mary know how to get our attention and to bring us back in, into the into the faith. Yeah. And I, I want to affirm what Father Michael just said, because I also, after I went through my conversion and I consecrated my life to the Blessed Mother, to Jesus through Mary, mm -hmm. then I did exactly that. I have four children. I consecrated them all to the Blessed Mother as early as I could. I'm like, Blessed Mother, take care of them and take them to your son. And she has done that for yeah. me. Yeah, it's for been sure. a beautiful thing to watch. For sure. So, but um, anyways, I ended up, um, you know, coming back to Flint, Michigan and, you know, going back to school and, you know, really kind of do some different things. And I ended up only being at Michigan State University for a little while, but it was funny. My mom on our spring break, she's like, you know, I've got this book for you. And she left it off to the side. You might be interested in reading it. And I was like, what's this, you know, and not expecting anything that was going to be monumental. I thought, you know, right. I didn't know what, what my mom was leaving for me, but she left me this book. And the name of the book was called Medjugorje, The Message. It was written by Wayne Weibel. Wayne Weibel at the time was a Lutheran Protestant, somebody who really didn't grow up with any type of devotion to Our Lady. But on the front cover, it said this. It said, on June 24th, 1981, six Yugoslavian teenagers allegedly said that they saw an apparition or a vision of our Blessed Mother on the hillside in their little village. And according to them, she's been appearing every day since. So I, all I did was read that front cover, and I saw this picture of Our Lady, and I said to my mom, I'm like, Mom, is this kind of like what happened to those kids that happened in Europe with those shepherd children? And she's yeah. like, Our Lady of Fatima. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, exactly, except it's happening now in our lifetime. And yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, i got to read this. So right. I read this book. And it completely turned my life upside down because mm. as I read the book and I read the accounts of the children seeing this apparition of Her Lady and all the miraculous things that were happening, the supernatural phenomena in the sky, uh, miraculous healings that were taking place, but the messages of Her Lady, you know, from mm. the very early days, the visionaries there in Medjugorje asked Mary, they said, who are you? And she said, I am the mother of God and have come from heaven to tell you that God exists. Mm -hmm. And if that was the only thing that Mary ever said, how important it would be for our world to hear that message. God exists. Yes. How many people do you know that's in your, are, that are in your life right now that live their life acting like God does not exist? Exactly. And it's all about the world. How much money can I make? How much power can I achieve mm -hmm. in this world? How many people do I need to step on to achieve what I want that's going to make me happy with all these material things? But God's not part of that equation. Right. So, you know, Our, Our Lady had given many, many messages in those early days. But as I read the book, my heart started to really 
become on fire. Mm-hmm. And I had this great desire to want to pray and to come close to God. And, and being away from church and being away from God for so long, I didn't know where to begin. Sure. I, knew, I knew the Our Father. I knew the Hail Mary. I knew the Glory Be. And I remember Our Lady saying so many messages, talking about how she wanted us to pray the rosary. She wanted us to um, really spend time in, in Holy Scripture, reading the Bible and going to confession. I thought, I've got nothing to confess. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't stolen anything. But I knew I wasn't going to church. Right. And so that was one thing I, I, I remembered from when I was a young boy and then growing up that my parents always brought us to church on Sundays. And I knew that that was something that sure. I was asked to do. So I started going back to church on Sundays. And uh, if I can give you maybe a paint a visual uh, image of what I used to look like back then, my hair was all the way down my back. Both my ears were pierced. And yeah. I definitely didn't look like uh, your typical... Uh, um, person who was falling in love with the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, but yeah, it was it was interesting. I, I started going back to church on and every Sunday, and I was going to make that a point that I was always going to really make that effort. And even reflecting back on now, um, from that point on, I never missed Mass on Sunday unless I was deathly ill. Sure. And it's funny, too. I always joke, too, that, you know, the many years that I was away from the Lord and not going to church on Sundays and just really living a life of sin, the Lord has a funny way of kind of changing things around because now I'm celebrating sometimes four Masses in one day. So the (laughs) Lord's making up for lost time. (laughs) I love that. He does have a funny way of doing that. Yeah. So um, maybe I can just tell you a little bit how this all unfolded. So I read this story about Medjugorje, and it put a desire in my heart to want to know God more. And it was really through our Blessed Mother, Mary. Think about this. If you've ever been growing up in a family and um, you get in trouble for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. do you go to dad or do you go to mom? You always go to mom. Mom's always going to be a little bit more gentle. It's going to be a little bit more easier and stuff like that. And and so it was easier for me to come back into the faith through Mary. And so once Mm -hmm. Mary, you know, I like the the imagery of, you know, me kind of going off the path, the path that was leading towards God, leading towards her son. And as I was leading, going down a wrong path, Mary came up. And she grabbed me by the hand and she said, you're going the wrong way. Let me show you the right way. And she led me by the hand, like a little child, to her son. And that's something for us to always remember, especially after celebrating the Feast of the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, that true devotion to Mary never draws us to Mary. It draws us to Jesus. Mary always, she doesn't draw it to herself. She draws us to her son. Mary's like a signpost. She leads us always to her son because that's her role is to lead us to her son, Jesus Christ. So, yeah. So I, I want to just interject I, again. I know that a lot of people struggle with the role of Mary, right, in the faith journey because they don't understand where she fits. So I, I love what you just said, that she does always and only draw us closer to her son. She leads the way. Uh, it is getting close to time for a commercial break. So at this time, we're going to take a little break. So this is Letty Medina with WSFI 88.5 FM. Uh, Please stay tuned because the next part of Father Michael's story is very amazing and beautiful and worth sticking around for. We'll be right back.
Hello, this is Letty Medina, and this is uh, WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, and this is Fullness of Life, and we are in the middle of um, having Father Michael Grzyk share his witness about his conversion through Our Lady of Medjugorje. And we've just uh, heard a little bit about his early childhood, his high school and college years, and now we're getting to the point where he's going to talk a little bit about how he started feeling a call to come back to the church. Sure, yeah, and it's interesting how the how the Lord, he, he loves us and he knows us better than we know ourselves, and uh, he knows how to get our attention. And for this point in my life, when I was having this conversion, I started going back to church on, mm-hmm. on Sundays, and I made that a point, um, but I wasn't still full in. You know, I right. wasn't like I didn't go to confession, I wasn't praying the rosary, because I thought, sure. ah, that's not for me. Right. Um, but it was interesting, as I kept reading the messages from Our Lady, she kept talking about it. And really, all of Our Lady's apparitions around the world, Fatima, Lourdes, Guadalupe, Our Lady is always asking us to pray the rosary. And she's mm-hmm. asking us to repent, to go to confession. I thought, you know what? If Our Lady keeps asking for this, maybe I need to do this too. And so I did go to confession. And I was like, I haven't been in confession in like, what, 15 years, maybe 20 years. I was like, I didn't know even where to begin. I was like, right. what do I say? And I was embarrassed that I got to tell somebody this. And mm-hmm. so I remember going to the to the priest and after a very long confession, he's like, is that it? Is that it? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Father, that's it. Let's land the plane. Let's go. But I remember when he gave me absolution, I felt like, oh my gosh, that it just like lifted this huge cloud off of me. It let, I was able to let go a lot of extra baggage I was carrying around and to really receive God's mercy. So beautiful. It yep. really helped me in my conversion. And for those of you who are listening right now, it's so important for us to allow God to heal the wounds that we have in our life. And he does that through holy confession. Yes. You know, there's so many things that we... You know, that we make mistakes in life, and, and God knows that. But he also wants to heal us, and he heals us by forgiving us our sins. And the best thing about it is it doesn't cost anything. It's Amen. free. Yeah. You know, God wants to heal us. He wants to be able to bring us back into communion with him. Well, and, and I want to just say again, I know I have met many people who stay away from that sacrament out of fear because mm-hmm. they're so embarrassed sure. and they just can't speak right. the mistakes they've made. Or that God can't forgive the sin that they've done. Right? Which is a lie of the enemy, exactly. right? Exactly. But the, the reality is that... The Lord wants to bring his people healing Mm -hmm. and fullness of life, which is this program, right? right? We want to talk about fullness of life. And he can do it through the sacraments of the church. Absolutely. So don't stay away. And that's something I have to bring up, too. You know, when I was being raised in my family and going to a Catholic school, I don't think I truly grasped the treasures that are in the Catholic church, the sacraments. You know, the sacrament of reconciliation, the gift of the rosary, you know, praying, Eucharistic adoration. You know, one thing that I didn't even learn about until after my conversion was about Eucharistic miracles. No one ever told me about Eucharistic miracles that have taken place throughout church history to really help us to understand that Christ is really present in the Eucharist. And I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't anybody ever tell me about this? So I started to discover all the treasures that were within the church, but even the treasure of Our Lady. 
Mm-hmm. Because even though I went to a Catholic school, I didn't know about Our Lady of Lourdes. Right. I didn't know. You know, I knew a little bit about Our Lady of Fatima because it was on TV one day. And I, when I was a little kid, I remember watching it. I remember after watching the movie of Our Lady of Fatima, I asked my mom, did this really happen? I mean, was this, is this some kind of fake story? My mom's right. like, no. The church says that it's worthy of belief. Amen. But I never was taught that in the school. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So there was a period of time that the Catholic Church really threw out so many of the great treasures that we have in the church. And unfortunately, Our Lady kind of got lumped up into that. Yeah, There was a period of time after the Vatican II councils where many, many beautiful statues of Our Lady and of many saints were either thrown into the dumpster or put into the, into the basement of a church. I mean, uh, why? Yeah. I don't understand that. When people discover the richness of the church sure. in its fullness, yeah. again, uh, they fall in love with the church. Absolutely. Because it has so much to offer. So at this point in my in my conversion, I was really, really falling in love with the Lord and, and falling in love with Our Lady and um, really just trying to follow what Our Lady was asking of all of us. And one of the things she asked us to do was to pray the rosary. And I, and I was really struggling with that, too. I was like... I don't want to pray the rosary. I'm like, I don't even know how to pray the rosary. And the only people that pray the rosary are the, the little old ladies in the church. I'm like, you know, come on. I, you know, that's not for me. That's not right. manly for right. me to do that. But once again, if Our Lady wants it, and as in many of the apparitions of Our Lady around the world, Fatima and Lourdes and Guadalupe, Our Lady talks about praying the rosary. And I thought, if Our Lady wants it, I'm gonna. I have to do it. Okay. I have to make an effort. Mm-hmm. So I remember going to buy my very first pair of rosary beads, and they were all very, you know, feminine looking, and right. you know, all these jewels and stuff. And I'm like, no way, I can't. <laughs> I can't be seen holding something like that. But I found some wooden rosary beads, and I bought those, and I got those home uh, back to my. I was living in a loft at the time in Chicago. And um, I was living with seven other guys, and I, like, hid them because I didn't want anybody to see I had these rosary beads. And I went straight to my room, and I'm all set to pray, and I want to pray the rosary. And then I'm like, I don't know how to pray the rosary. <laughs> Even though I was raised Catholic, I grew up in a Catholic family. We went to Mass every Sunday. Right. We never prayed the rosary. Yep. Not even once. Not, not ever. Together mm-hmm. as a family. And I remember glimpses of it when I was in the Catholic school. Right. But like once in mm-hmm. 12 years of education. So I was like, I know that there are mysteries of, you know, Jesus and Mary's life, but I don't know how they go. All I know is that they're a bunch of Our Fathers and a bunch of Hail Marys. And I'm like, at least I can do that. So I remember sitting in my room and this huge loft and uh, saying my very first Our Father, my very first Hail Mary from the heart, praying from the heart. And I had this very mystical experience I felt the presence of Jesus and Mary in the room, and mm. I began to cry. And I was like, why am I crying? I'm starting <laughs> to freak out, you know? Right. But it wasn't it wasn't a sad cry. It was a joyful cry. Right. And I think what it really was is I was being anointed with the gift of the Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. the desire to pray. And really, God knew my heart. He knew that even though I didn't know how to pray the rosary, I was praying from the heart. Yeah. And that's something else that's important for us to remember is that it's not the quantity of our prayers. It's the quality of yeah. our prayers. And when we pray from the heart, we're talking to God like we're talking to our best friend. And that's what prayer is. It's a conversation with God. God wants to know all of our worries, all of our troubles. He wants to know our joys. And so that's what prayer is. We're telling the Lord, we're talking to him like our best friend. And haven't you had best friends in your life that sometimes you get mad at them yeah. and you told them how <laughs> mad you were? Um, it's okay for us to be mad with God. God's mm-hmm. a big boy. He can handle it. Exactly. And so he wants us to be 
vulnerable with him. He wants us to, to tell our deepest secrets, our deep, deepest desires of our heart. And the Lord, even though he knows them already, he wants us to enter into that real conversation with him. But then a conversation is not just us talking to someone. It's also listening. Important. So we need time to listen to what God has to say to us. And the more time I spent in prayer, I started to realize that I was really being filled. So that missing piece of the puzzle mm -hmm. was starting to be filled in my heart. And I was really feeling a lot of joy about that. Beautiful. So in the midst of all of this, um, here I am, I'm still, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a young man living out in Chicago. And by the way, I dropped out of college again and I was out in Chicago. But this time I was putting myself through college okay. um, at Columbia College in downtown Chicago. And a uh, little shout out there to all the Columbian uh, alumni. Um, but, and I was going back to school for advertisement and marketing. So something that I, I had a desire for. Right. But in the midst of this conversion, I ended up going um, to a nightclub and I met this incredibly beautiful woman. We ended up uh, starting a, a dating relationship during mm -hmm. the summer. And this young woman, her name was uh, Virginie. She was from uh, Paris, France. Okay. And uh, we ended up having this summer love affair. Mm -hmm. And um, I really wanted to share my faith with her. So mm -hmm. on Sundays, I would invite her to come to Mass. And she's like, no. <laughs> And I respected that because I knew when I was away from the Lord, uh, when somebody would talk about Christ, I was like, it just made my skin crawl. So yeah. I knew I had to let her sure. see how important it was for me to live my faith. So I never pushed it on her, but then I would go to Mass, and then we'd get together, and we'd go do whatever we were going to do on that, that particular Sunday. But we dated all summer long, and I thought at the end of the summer when she went back to Paris, I'm never going to see her again. Right. I mean, when's the next time I'm going to Europe? It's just not going to happen. I'm mm -hmm. in college. i got all this debt. And um, as she traveled back to, to, to Europe, we kept in touch through letters and phone calls. And this is before the age of the Internet. So right. it was very expensive to call by phone. Mm -hmm. um, but we did. And we kept the relationship going. She flew back over Christmas and spent uh, some time with me. She met my whole family. They all loved her. Mm -hmm. um, then she came back again over Valentine's Day. Then she was going to come back again over Easter. And I said, well, wait a minute. You've already been here all these times. Why don't you just sit tight? As soon as I finish up the semester, I'll come out to visit you and I'll get a chance to meet your whole family. And my sister was going to get married that summer and she had already been invited to come to the wedding and the whole mm -hmm. thing. So it, it looked like it would be just a perfect timing to, mm -hmm. to put all this together. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I can work this out and maybe I can go out there for like a week or two. And as I started to plan things out, I started to realize, I'm like, if I'm going to be in Europe, what would it cost just to have one extra flight to go down to this place called Medjugorje? Mm -hmm. Well, there's no airport in Medjugorje. You have to fly into the coastal cities right. uh, along the Adriatic, like either Dubrovnik or Split. And um, I was like, you know, this might be a good time to go, except it was right during the middle of the Bosnian Civil War. That's right. And so there was a lot of contention and there was a lot of stress about the possibility of having to cross into a war zone. But something told me that God was calling me to go. I felt like I was being drawn like a magnet to go to Medjugorje. Yeah. So I had a deep desire to go. But everybody was trying to talk me out of it. My mom and dad were trying to talk me out of sure. it. My girlfriend was trying to talk me out of it. It's not safe. Why can't you wait till the war's ended? And I'm like, right. God's, I think I'm going to be okay. God's telling me to come. He wants me to come to see his mom. You know, How beautiful. I don't want to go. Yeah. But I remember my dad and my mom, they were really worried about me. So I, I went out and... Um, I got something and I said, Dad, I hear I want you to read this before I leave. And he's like, well, what is this? 
I said, just read it. I said, it's a life insurance policy, just in case something doesn't, <laughs> if something happens that I don't Practical. make it back. And my dad looked at it and he, he started laughing. He goes, uh, he's like, son, he's like, this isn't even enough money to get your body back if something happened. It was like for five or 10 grand. He's like, <laughs> what is this? You know? But, um, you know, I set it all up. I went over to Europe. Um, I spent the first, uh, first, I think, two weeks with uh, my girlfriend and uh, her family. Her mom loved me. Her dad hated me because here it was, this American guy with the long hair and earrings, and the potential that our relationship was really starting to get serious and that I was going to take his little girl away from him. For sure. So he didn't like me at all. But her, her mother loved me because I had this great love for a blessed mother. She saw my rosary beads, and I was oh. telling her about Medjugorje, and so she was very, very happy about that. So I spent those the beginning of the trip with them, and then I was on my way to Medjugorje, and my girlfriend was still finishing up college, but the plan was as soon as I came back from Medjugorje, we were going to travel all around Europe together, then she was going to fly back with me for my sister's wedding, and then she was going to do an internship in Montreal, Canada, so she'd be closer to me, but also mm -hmm. you know, at least on the same you know area that right. we'd be able to, to see each other easier. But... Um, I went to the airport, I got checked in, and, and I took the one flight from Frankfurt, Germany, down to Split, Croatia. And I wasn't sure how I was going to make it into Medjugorje. And so I started talking to people on the flight. And a lot of these people were flying from either Canada or from the United States, and they were coming into Frankfurt, making this last connecting flight. And um, everybody on the flight was going to Medjugorje. And I kept asking their group leaders, could I catch a ride with you. I'm traveling by myself. I'm trying to make it to Medjugorje. And everybody was just packed. They had no room on their bus and I was really desperate. And the last group to get off the plane was a group from Canada. And when I asked them if I could hitch a ride with them, they said, no problem. We have lots of room. We'd love to have you. And then everybody picked up the luggage except me. Oops. So my one flight going from Frankfurt to Split, they lost my backpack that had all of my clothes, my tent, my bag, everything that I had, wow. but I really didn't care. I thought, you know what, I've got my passport, I've got my money, let's just go to Medjugorje. And they kept reassuring me, they're like, they'll find it, they'll find it, don't worry about it, they'll bring us to us in Medjugorje. So we get on this bus, we're heading to Medjugorje, and they start saying, hey, let's pray the rosary. So I'm like, hey, I know, I got my rosary beads, I know how to do this now. So right. by this time, I know how to pray the rosary. So we're praying the rosary, and then we'd finish the rosary, and they'd say, well, let's pray another rosary. And so we'd pray another rosary. <laughs> and this went on the whole time to Medjugorje, like three hours with, and I thought, what bus did I get on? Oh I mean, gosh. these guys are a bunch of holy rollers. But we made it into Medjugorje, and um, we got in very late. And I remember I was so excited to finally be there in Medjugorje. I'd seen all these pictures, and I just desperately wanted to see the church. So everybody went to bed. They were exhausted. But I went down by the church and I walked around. Everything was very dark. During the Bosnian Civil War, they would cut off the electricity so they didn't want to, one, use up that precious resource, yeah. but then also they didn't want to draw attention to the village because the war was still raging, and they had already tried to attack Medjugorje a couple of times by air. So it was very dark, and you could see a million stars out. Mm. So I walked out behind the church of uh, St. James, and I was trying to figure out where Mount Krasovec was at. That's is this the mountain where they had this huge cross. It's like 33 feet high. And I'm looking, I'm looking. I couldn't see really anything because it was so dark. And then all of a sudden, I see this intense glow coming from the mountaintop. And I'm looking at this. I'm like, why did they put a strobe light on top of this mountain? This is really weird. <laughs> Maybe it was to ward off planes so they didn't crash into the mountain or something. Right. But I'm looking at this, I'm like, this isn't a strobe light. This is really odd. So this light, it was just very intense, and it would shimmer, and it would spin around, and sometimes other colors would shoot out from it. And I was mm -hmm. like, this is the weirdest light. I've never seen anything like this. 
So I'm watching this whole time. And I thought maybe I should get back to bed. So I went back to the place we were staying at. And the next morning I, I told everybody, I said, I saw this really crazy strobe light on top of the mountain. They said, oh, you saw the miracle of the cross. And I'm like, no, there, there's a strobe light up there. And they're like, there's no electricity up there. <laughs> so that afternoon I climbed all the way to the top of the mountain where Mount Krasovic was at. And sure enough, there's no electricity right. up there. There's no strobe light. And I was like, what was it that I saw the night before? So later that night, I went back down to the church to see if I'd see that light again. And I didn't see it. And I thought, well, maybe I was hallucinating. I don't know what <laughs> I was looking at. And then I ran into these two people that were coming out of the vineyards. And um, they were from Canada. And uh, they said, what are you doing out behind the church so late at night? And I said, well, you're not going to believe this. But last night, I saw this intense light coming from Mount Krasovec. And I came out here to see if I'd see that light again. Yeah. And they looked at each other. And they looked at me. And they said, we saw that same light last night. That's why we came out to see if we'd see it again. Wow. And then all of a sudden, as we were describing it to each other, what we saw the night before, the light reappeared. Oh, wow. And it started to, it was very, very large. And it was just spinning and lights were coming out from it and spinning around. And it was amazing. We all got goosebumps. And I remember the woman that was with us, she started to weep. She's like, God's showing us a miracle. And we're like, wow, this is really freaky. Yeah. And when I look back at that moment, I really think about how the three wise men, they didn't travel from their countries together. Right. They ended up following the star to lead them to Bethlehem okay. to find the newborn king. They didn't know what they to expect. They didn't right. know what was going on. But they were following the star, trying to, to see where it was going to lead them. And they intersected and they met each other, saying, we're following the star too. And I always thought it was interesting that the three of us saw this, this intense oh, light, beautiful. just yeah. like the star of Bethlehem. Yeah. And I, I think it's it's something for us all to think about that our own vocation in life, wherever it is that God's calling us, whether he's calling us to be married, whether he's calling us to be a priest or religious brother, wherever it is that God's leading us, there's always moments where the light where God is leading us, the star of Bethlehem would disappear. And just like the three wise men, there were moments where they didn't see the star anymore. And they're like, where is it? And they, they didn't know, but they would persevere taking that next step, following where they saw the star last heading in that direction and that's really like our vocations we have to really persevere even in the midst where we feel like god maybe has left our life or abandoned us we have to persevere in following the star that will lead us to jesus amen i love that because i i agree that the lord does give us signs right whether it's through other people and things they say to us absolutely uh, moving our hearts in prayer like you had that experience when you first prayed the rosary that mm -hmm. time the the holy spirit was present to you the Lord makes himself known to us when we open our hearts to him, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Um, it is time for another commercial break, but don't go away. Um, the rest of his story is equally amazing, and you don't want to miss it. This is Letty Medina with Fullness of Life, 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Letty Medina with WSFI 88.5 Catholic Radio, Fullness of Life. And we are in the last segment of a three-part show uh, where Father Michael Grizzik is sharing his witness and conversion and um, call to the priesthood um, through Our Lady of Medjugorje. So, um, Father Michael, where are we at now? 
So we're in Medjugorje, and uh, it was uh, it really felt like one day built upon the, the next, and I just felt like my heart was on fire. Now, if you remember, uh, before we went on the break, I was talking about how um, good old Croatian Airlines lost my luggage, yes. and uh, I had no clothes, I had no tent. Thank God this group from Canada had brought me into the pension that they were living in, and they were able to have a cot, and I was able to sleep in the house and <laughs> not goodness. be outside on the bench or something God like provided. That, for sure. Um, and they also gave me T-shirts because I had no clothes, you know. So I had a pair of jeans, and, um, you know, I was good to go. But I had no T-shirts or anything like that to wear. So they all gave me different T-shirts. And a lot of these T-shirts said, like, drink Molson Golden Beer and things like that. <laughs> so every day we're going to church, I'm always walking in with this with my long hair and my earrings. So I didn't look, you know, uh-huh. priestly, that's for <laughs> sure. Um, but it was funny. Every time I went to Mass, people were just singing on the top of their voices, the top of their lungs. And people were fighting over who could sit in the front, getting trying to get as close as they could to Jesus in the tabernacle. And it was just a beautiful thing to do. And really, we should all be cramming our churches because that's where God is truly present. Yes. In any Catholic church, in any Orthodox church that you go to around the world, you'll find the tabernacle with the little red light. It's called a sanctuary light. That's to let us know that God is truly present in the Holy Eucharist. So we should all be trying to get our way as close as we can in to see the Lord. You know, for a lot of people, when they pass by a church, if they just stop in for a little prayer, that's where they find God. And in that silence, they feel that peacefulness. They feel the Lord wrapping his arms around them, and they feel comforted by that. So if you haven't been to church in a while, maybe you could swing by the church and, you know, just say a little prayer and ask the Lord to kind of help you to find your way back home. But but every time I would go to Mass at Medjugorje, I would always have somebody after Mass come up to me and they'd say, it's so good to see young people here in Medjugorje. And they'd start up a conversation and want to find out what country I was from. And they would always inevitably always say the last thing to me in the conversation saying, have you ever thought about becoming a priest? And, ding, I, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and I'd always look at him and say, do I look like a priest with my long hair and my earrings? And like, well, you could cut it. And I'm like, I'm not going to cut my hair. It's not going to happen. And I said, besides, I got a girlfriend back in Paris, so I'm not really thinking about priesthood. But it started happening almost like clockwork, like every two, three times a day. And I was like, Interesting. it's like, is somebody like, like paying these guys to come up to me and say this? Cause it was just so weird. Yeah. But then I started thinking, maybe God's giving me a sign. Maybe God is asking me to consider this. Yeah. And I remember sitting out in front of St. James church in the courtyard. They have this beautiful statue of our lady of Medjugorje. And I was praying outside there just by the bench, you know, um, and I was praying inside my heart. I wasn't saying anything out loud. And I remember saying to God, I'm like, God, do you really want me to be a priest for you? I'm like, I'm such a sinner. Why would you want me to do it? I'm, I, you, can't you find anybody better? <laughs> it's like you're coming to the bottom of the barrel. And then, you know, I really asked the Lord, like, do you really want me to be a priest for you? And all of a sudden, out of this crowd that had come out of Mass with this, this little old Irish lady, and she walked across the plaza, she walked right up to me, and she said, Glory be to God, Jesus wants me to give this to you. And she opened up my hand, she put something into it, and then she walked away and she disappeared in the crowd. And I thought she was giving me money to like cut my hair or something, but <laughs> it was a little prayer card. And on the prayer card was a picture of Jesus. His hands were folded in prayer. His eyes were tightly closed like he was in praying intensely. And above the prayer card, it said, come and follow me. <sighs> so right at the moment that I was asking the Lord if he wanted me to follow him as a priest, he said, come and follow me. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I mean, the... 
and, and you know, people might hear that and they say, well, that was just a coincidence. And no. I have to say that nothing is a coincidence. Everything is a God incidence. Amen. God is always working through other people. He's working through nature. He's working through Holy Scripture speaking to us. So we just have to open up our hearts to listen to what God is asking us to do. Yes. And it would take too long to tell you all the miraculous things that happened in Medjugorje, but it was definitely the Lord got my attention. And so then I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to tell my girlfriend back in Paris? She's going to think <laughs> I'm nuts. So some people that I become very good friends with in Medjugorje, they said the same thing. They're like, what are you going to tell your girlfriend? And I said, I'm not telling her nothing. <laughs> I said, if God really wants me to be, become a priest, he's going to have to have her break up with me because I'm too chicken to break up with her. Typical guy. <laughs> uh -huh. And so they said, oh, you better be careful with what you want. And I'm like, well, if God wants this, we'll just he'll make it happen. Right. So I had a beautiful pilgrimage. I was there for uh, several weeks. I, I left um, with just, uh, just a fire in my heart just to, to love the Lord and to really, you know, discern a vocation to the priesthood. But I thought, you know, let me travel with my girlfriend. We'll go to my sister's <laughs> wedding. And in a couple of years, I'll think about the priesthood. For sure. For sure. You thought you had it all figured yeah, out. Yeah, we'll give it a couple of years and then we'll, we'll talk about it. But I, I worked my way back to Paris. And I, the last little journey I had to do, it was by train. And so um, I called up my girlfriend. She was going to pick me up at the, at the train station. And I remember as I was on the train, I felt inspired to open up my Bible. And I know now that when those moments come, when you feel an inspiration to read scripture, mm -hmm. God wants to speak to you. Yes. He wants to speak to your heart. And that's when you, you just say a little prayer to the Holy Spirit. Say, God, what is it that you want me to say to me? You know, open up my heart, open up my ears, open up mm -hmm. my soul so I can listen to your words. And so I did. I said that prayer. And then I, and I, and I recommitted myself saying, Lord, you know the deal. If you really want me to become a priest, then you've got to have my girlfriend break up with me in two or three years from now. <laughs> <laughs> and so I opened up my Bible and uh, I fell upon um, the first letter, Peter. And the passage, I'm going to abbreviate it, it just said, uh, Beloved, do not be surprised when you have to suffer for this trial mm -hmm. by faith. When you are persecuted for the Lord, that's when you should really stand up and rejoice. Wow. And I kind of looked at this and I thought, this must have been meant for the early Christians, thrown to the lions, it means nothing to me. Closed my Bible, threw it in my backpack. I get off the train, there's my girlfriend waiting for me. I ran over to give her a big hug and a kiss because I hadn't seen her in about three weeks at this point. Yeah. And as I ran over to go see her, she goes, we have to talk. That's my best French accent. <laughs> and then she leads me, leads me into this little cafe and we sat down, we got some coffee and she goes, you and me, it's finished. It's over with. For you, God's number one in your life. I'm number two. It's finished. Wow. And my jaw just dropped to the floor. And my first honest reaction was, Lord, I was just kidding. <laughs> and I realized that God was working through all of this. Yes. But I, I, but all of a sudden, you know, the guy instincts are like, wait a minute, you can't dump me. Right, right. <laughs> Human nature kicks in. And I remember saying, I'm like, what happened? Did you meet another guy? Did you fall in love with somebody? What happened? I was only gone for three weeks. How could right. this have happened? And she's like, no. She goes, I still really love you. But here it is. You're running off at this place called Medjugorje where you think the Blessed Virgin Mary's appearing in the middle of a war. Don't you understand how crazy that is? Don't you understand that God does not exist? Oh, wow. So even though she was a baptized Catholic and she had made her first Holy Communion, I think she was confirmed. I don't remember. But her father, who was a professor at the Sorbonne, one of the great mm -hmm. universities there in Paris, he was an atheist. Yeah. And he was infecting his own family. Yeah. He was destroying the faith of his own children yep. because of his atheism. Wow. 
And I remember her saying, she's like, her mother was suffering with MS. And she's like, if God really existed, why would he make my mother suffer? She's such a good person. And I was like, I don't have the answers. Right. You know, but I can say that, you know, God brought um, your father in, you know, to be, to love your 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 mother and to stay there as the rock solid father of your family and husband and you know for many people they would run away when they would inf have some type of disease that would affect their spouse they would wouldn't want to deal with a cancer right. or something like that and he stood by her side and I said that's a gift in itself and she's like yeah 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 and she didn't really want to listen to it anymore but I realized what was happening that moment that God was working through all of this and so that was the last time I ever talked to her and she mm -hmm. went away and I went my way. And you know, there's so much more I could tell you, but at the just at the at the very end of all of this, I wanted just to say that in any vocation that God is calling us to, whether it's a vocation to marriage, whether it's a vocation to the priesthood, or wherever it is that God's asking us to serve Him, every vocation must be tested along the way. It yes. has to be purified, like gold has to be purified in fire to remove all the impurities away, yes. to make it pure, yes. to make it you know 100 percent. And so I've had many ups and downs, many uh, peaks yeah. and valleys with my, my, my journey towards priesthood. For sure. But I was ordained in uh, uh, 2015 for the Archdiocese of Chicago. And what's so interesting is that uh, in 2010, Ivan Drajevic, one of the visionaries from Medjugorje, he was invited to have his apparition in Holy Name Cathedral. Cardinal George, our, our, our former uh, great cardinal, he, uh, he, he allowed it. He, mm -hmm. he gave permission for that to take place, and I was there. Yes. And I was like, how beautiful this is, that Our Lady is here in Chicago, you know, right. in the cathedral. Right. And then the day of my ordination to the priesthood, I remember laying out on the marble as they're saying um, uh, the litany to all the saints and asking for their intercession. I had a pair of rosary beads in my chest pocket mm -hmm. as I'm laying down. And I was just saying to the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, I give you my priesthood. I give you everything. And Mary, cover me with your mantle. Help me to always be faithful to your son and to his church. And then I realized that the rosary beads that were in my pocket as I was being ordained in the center of the sanctuary, um, those rosary beads were 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 blessed in Medjugorje. Yes. And at the moment that I was being ordained, I, I realized that Our Lady had appeared in her apparition to Ivan Drajevich in the exact same spot that I was ordained. So it was, it was such a beautiful confirmation of everything that had happened. What so, a gift. Yeah. And so Our Lady Medjugorje, you know, that's something maybe we can talk about. You know, uh, the apparitions in Medjugorje have not been officially approved by the church. They are still investigating them. Yes. They've done a, a number of different investigations over the years. Um, but the church's official position on Medjugorje is a wait-and-see approach. Yes. They haven't condemned Medjugorje, but they haven't officially approved it either. Correct. But one interesting thing is that they did send... Uh, Pope Francis sent over a delegate from uh, from Poland. His name's Archbishop Huser, and he is the official Vatican representative who's living in Medjugorje currently indefinitely at yes. the Pope's uh, desire to do this to help to minister to the millions of pilgrims that are coming to Medjugorje every year. Yes, and he has had many powerful experiences in Medjugorje. And he spoke very highly, favorably about Medjugorje as well. Yes, um, and so. That's a good sign. It shows mm -hmm. that the that the Vatican, that the Church, is open to the possibilities. Is this really coming from God? Exactly. 
And I think all you have to do is to look at the vocations that have come from Medjugorje. I'm not the only one. I know. I think there's over a thousand different men from around the world that have found their vocation in Medjugorje, and I'm just one of them. Praise God. And so that's just vocations. Think about the healings of marriages. Think about the healing of people that have been broken because of different failed relationships or maybe drugs or alcohol, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they find healing in Medjugorje because they 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 finally find God. They find the missing piece of the puzzle that they couldn't fill. Absolutely. My own conversion came through Medjugorje, so it's very near and dear to my heart for sure. sure. One of the things I kind of want to just emphasize that some of the story that you shared was, again, how, you know, you had peaks and valleys. It wasn't like this easy, straight path, no, 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 you know, (laughs) no detours or anything. You know, the reality is that, uh, and just for our listeners to really think about this, that you know, we do have um, our our tendencies towards sin, right? That's that's human nature that right. we are going to be drawn sure. to um, sin because of our uh, our birth with natural with the original sin, right? And so it's a it's a battle throughout our lives to choose good, to choose not to sin. And we grow in grace as we continue to spend time with the Lord, go to the sacraments, spend time in prayer. But he, he always calls saints from th- those of us who were, you know, originally sinners. We're all originally sinners, sure. but he can turn us into saints. We're all grace. broken in some way. Exactly. There's nobody who's without sin. There's none of us that haven't had some type of wound inflicted upon us in our hearts, um, whatever the circumstance might be in our life. And the one thing is, is that the Lord wants to heal us. Amen. He wants us to be healed, and he wants to fill our hearts with love and great joy. And you'll find that when you come into the sacraments, especially through reconciliation, through confession. Yes. Because that's where the Lord is allowed. When we invite the Lord into our hearts, that's when he can really heal us. The Lord's never going to strong arm us. He's never going to force himself upon us. He'll always invite us, but we have to invite him into our hearts to heal heal us, to heal those wounds. Um, So for those of you who are listening, if if you haven't been to confession in a long time, I want you to consider going to confession this weekend. Um, and if you feel embarrassed about it, go to a church that's next to your parish that you don't even know the, the priest there. Exactly. Um, you know, here in this area, we have Marytown, which is uh, run by the Franciscans at the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Kobe. They have confession Monday through Friday twice during the day. It, it's amazing yes. that how many people come to confession what a resource. every single day. And St. Peter's in the Loop in downtown Chicago, the Franciscan Friars there have confession from 6 a.m. in the morning until 6 p.m. at night, Monday through Friday. What a gift amazing. to be able to give so many people the opportunity to go to confession. Unfortunately, many of my brother priests, they limit the time to go to confession to a half an hour on Saturdays. And it's like, you can't do that. You know, for our brother, my brother priest, if you're listening to this, you have to preach about God's mercy, but then Amen. you have to make it available. Yes. You can't limit it in the box. And don't say, you know, if you call me for a personal appointment, I'll hear your confession. Don't do that. Yeah. Give many opportunities for our people to hear confession. Yeah. Uh, for you to hear their confession, for them to confess their sins, because that's where God's going to heal the flock and that he's going to be able to restore them uh, to that spiritual wellness that God wants us to have. Amen. I love that. 
Um, well, uh, time has flown, and it is uh, time to bring the show to a close. But can you give us one final blessing, Father Michael? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks and praise for this day. Uh, we give you thanks and praise for being here during our conversation. And Lord, in a special way, I'd like you to anoint those who are listening to this program. Lord, I ask that you touch their hearts and help them to understand how much you love them and how much you want to heal the wounds that are in their own lives, especially through holy confession. Lord, I ask that you look kindly upon all of your people and bless them now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming and spending this You're time welcome. with us. I look forward to having you back again, sure. maybe, to focus on one of the other um, topics that you love to teach about, which I know pro-life is one of them. Absolutely. Um, several different things I know you're very passionate about. Well, it's time to wrap things up. And I just want to thank everyone for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed hearing this beautiful witness from Father Michael Grezik. Don't forget to tune in next month on the first Saturday of every month at 10 a.m. and the first Monday of every month at 10 p.m. Until we meet again, I'm wishing you all his fullness of life. 